What's it mean to be brave and to move away from fear, doubt, and an unsatisfying life? Today's episode is all about Margaret Davis Gilmetti, the author of Bravish, a memoir about exotic globetrotting, luxury adventures, and the steady realization that Gilmetti is extremely unhappy. The symptoms? Loneliness, atheism, and addiction, as she spirals out of control and faces the pending death of her mother and the truth about what it means to truly come home. Forgiveness and love are at the heart of this story, this interview, and this writer and performance artist whose work has appeared in the Story Moth, Second City, and Story Studio. Overcoming perfectionism is everything for Gilmetti, and this is her story. Welcome to Sippin' On Stories, where we take you into the lives of diverse and unique change makers who turn anxiety, fear, and passion into powerful recipes for success. Good stories build insightful connections, but great stories. Now, that's something special. Today's story is one of those stories. Rose McInerney here. Welcome back, everyone, to Sipping on Story. Today, we're talking about fear, bravery, and coming home, no matter where you live or what's happening in the world or deep inside of you. Margaret Davis Gilmetti escapes to all kinds of magical places in her book, Bravish, five-star dining, hotels that are enviable tourist experiences. But as readers pack their bags and join Margaret in this perfect world, things quickly fall apart. So if you feel like you are not being honest with yourself, or maybe you're living a life for others and you're miserable inside, this episode is for you. I've got my coffee in hand and Margaret is sipping on a strong espresso before we get started in conversation and we learn a little bit more about how to get out of your own way and to be happy. On that happiness note, you're going to make me smile if you could please take a second and hit that subscribe button. Two reasons why not. Second, maybe this episode or some of the other story episodes that we feature will be just the kind of inspiration you're looking for. Visit our website at sippingonstories.com and don't be shy about signing up for our newsletter while you're there. Okay, so turn up the volume and here we go. I am sitting here with the author of Bravish. Her name is Margaret Davis Gilmetti, and she is incredible. Just kick those feet back and relax because she's going to make you feel right at home, even though her her larger home, I think, Margaret, is the world, isn't it? Um, I like to think that. Yes. Thanks, Rose. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. You know, I'm a big fan of Womanscape. So thanks for having me, Rose. Oh, thanks. You're so gracious. It's so hard to know where to start with this. Being brave is definitely the topic du jour, du decade. It is so important. And the beauty about your book, we're going to dive into that shortly. But I want to go back to probably a place where all of us can identify with. At the beginning of the book, you talk about something called the Davis Handbook. So I'm hoping you can share with our audience, what is that all about? Because that really fuels, I think, the story that you tell in Bravish. Mm. Thank you for, for saying that. And again, thanks for having me, Rose. I'm so grateful to be back. Um, 
the handbook came to me, I'm, I'm grateful to say as a writer and an artist, you know, those moments when the muse really visits us, this happened to be in the middle of the night. I was in really deep into revisions on the book and still really looking for my central theme. And the muses visited me in the middle of the night, you know, that like write it down on a pad of paper next to the bed. This feeling of the Davis, my maiden name, Davis family handbook, how the rules in it that I inherited from my parents, as did my brothers, uh, how those informed my life and how those compelled me to take on some roles that I really acted out for a long, long time until I, until I realized I wanted to reconsider those. Uh, and also the realization that my parents got a handbook too, and subsequently the realization that I think everyone gets a handbook. Uh, and that's been a really touching thing to me to share with readers is their discovery of, oh, some of the assumptions that we go through life on. <laughs> that's it's beautifully put. And I think everyone knows what we're talking about. It's those little ways that you grow up and things that your parents say, what you learn from your friendships, your experiences, the good, the bad. We sort of collect all those things, don't we? Even if we're not writing them down, we collect them and they they really inform and shape the decisions that we make. Absolutely. And I agree with you. It's not just our parents, but it is the things that we hear societally. Uh, we hear from other family members, as you say, from friends. And I would say that they are generally really, really good things to carry through life. I mean, my parents gave me some really good advice. What I realized was I was using them in excess. And anytime I use a strength in excess, whoops, uh, it becomes a, a detriment. That's a nice clarification. I think, I forget what that saying is. It's a bit of a lottery. You know, we all come into this world. The zip code is going to be whatever it is and the, the genetic code and where we're born and, and the parents that we have that are active or maybe not as active or too active. But you were a really obedient child, right? I was a really obedient child. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that really informed a lot of how I acted as a grown-up, not for long stretches of time. I mean, I'm a really fierce person at heart, uh, but I did definitely fall back on that, put other people first, um, the bravery of just do it without any help, uh, preferably yesterday, perfectly. Uh, so a lot of the things that I really carried with me that I'm grateful for because they allowed me to really live around the world, the, the bravish, the blind bravish, the blind just do it, uh, really did allow me to be out in the world. I'm grateful for that. But there comes a point at which I realized, oh, gosh, uh, it's not serving me in that excessive form anymore. You know, we're spending a little bit of time on this part because I think it's important. It's the foundations of us growing up and what it is that influences our conscious and our unconscious choices. This was a really interesting part of your book because if we look at what Bravish is, I think your handbook, was it something that you were sort of breaking out of in Bravish? Is, is that what happened in the book? Definitely. What I realized through the, the course of the book, because it's my literal journey living on four continents and visiting almost 50 countries, uh, primarily start, starting out as a trailing spouse to my husband, Patrick, and his hotel career, uh, and then my emotional journey as I realized what we're talking about, okay, that's how I filled in the void 
of not knowing what I was doing once we first started moving outside the States and I had quit my job. So the rules informed the roles that I took on and able to feel, uh, in, in order to feel productive and safe. And it's really my journey of letting go of that uh, need for safety, realizing it's not, wasn't really keeping me safe after all. Uh, and I was keeping myself small instead. So it is definitely my journey from being blindly brave to being a more awake, sometimes bra- just bravish. Bravish sometimes is enough. So I love that. And honestly, Margaret, your book, the timing for this is perfect. You started writing this book, I think, before the world walked into this pandemic and had, you know, this COVID-laden, fear-driven atmosphere that we're still grappling with. This whole idea of wanting to be brave because that's the face we should all put on. I know I read those little things every day and and you're probably the same like on Instagram and on Facebook. Be brave. You can do it. Cheering. But here's where your book and your rare, raw honesty is something that Truly, I think Sipping on Stories can't promote enough, and Womanscape as a sponsor can't promote enough. Understand what is true bravery. What does it mean to be brave? I I love that concept, Rose, because I think you're so right. We're told over and over and over again, it's more messaging. You know, you, you have to say brave. You have to say yes. That is not a problem for me. I am inherently someone who I love to say yes. I love to do things I've never done before. That is not a problem for me. So to your point, I needed to find out what truly brave meant for me. And I think you're right. I think that's what interests me is what does what does an individual need in her or his life? What does she need to discover to become a more genuine not version, to become more genuinely herself. So for some people, yes, that really means they need to learn how to say yes. I did not need to learn how to say yes. I needed to learn how to say no. You needed to back off. And you know what? You did something really smart there too. You also mentioned the hymn. And I know in doing many of these podcasts, we feature so many women and the messages are equally strong and pertinent for men. Absolutely. I definitely, growing up, uh, you know, with a, a father who really did what he needed to do to support our family and a grandfather who was keep your shoes shined and your hair cut and marrying a man who is successful and driven. I think the messaging for men is really oppressive as well, that they are defined by their work. They're defined by their success. They're defined by their professions. Uh, I think that's a really heavy burden for men too. So I agree with you. You and I have talked about this. I love I love men too, and I think they do struggle with a slightly different rule book in, in that regard, societally. So in reading your book, I think that there's definitely a new handbook that you shape. And I've got a quote at the end I want to share that I'll, I'll ask you about. But you're super transparent about your journey. You talk about things like addiction, marital problems, the death of a parent, atheism, all different things that we as human beings struggle with. 
How difficult was that for you to be really brave in sharing those things? Well, thank you for calling that out. It's interesting to me. Um, a lot of people have asked me that. And it was actually not brave for me. It would have been very, very hard for me not to write the book that I needed to write. Uh, I'm really helped by the fact that I'm a live lit storyteller, as you know, uh, and I really have experienced that when I started telling stories, I told uh, my travel misadventures, which are, I think, entertaining. And people enjoyed that, and I love to make people laugh. But what I really love to do is connect, really connect with human beings. Uh, that's why I do any art now. And I found that when I was genuinely vulnerable, not making stuff up, but sharing my experience, that's what touched people. That's what allowed people to relate to the universality of my story. That's what brought people up to me after a performance to say, oh, thank you for having shared that. I did not understand that either addiction or, as you say, infertility, or I'm going through that, I'm losing my parents, or, wow, I thought everyone else's marriage was perfect. And I always say to people, man, if you've been together with someone in a partnership more than, oh, I don't know, let's give it six weeks, six months, we've all got some dings on us. And I wanted to share that with people so that people could take hope and be inspired by, you know, it's a new day. It's a new day. What I found in reading the book is you're opening yourself up. What's that feel like after you do the sharing and you put it on paper? It's not even going away. It's it's there. How's that feel? And why is it a good thing? Well, for me, it feels true. I wanted, uh, the book really wrote its, uh, well, I had to do the writing, but the book really spoke to me. As you know, it didn't start out as a memoir. It started out as a, I thought it was going to be a second solo show pushing back against the political atmosphere in my home country, the United States, after the previous presidential election. And I thought, well, you know, I've lived all these places. I'm going to push back against the sense that the other is bad. And as I wrote these traveler's tales, it occurred to me, oh, I'm actually not just writing a literal journey. I'm writing an emotional journey. And at that point, I feel you, you have to write your truth. Otherwise, I don't see the point of writing a memoir if it's not true. I definitely was never setting out to do an expose. I was not setting out to do a tell-all. Uh, that's not the point of memoir for me, but it would have felt false to me not to be honest with my readers. Um, and no one has taken this the wrong way. There's no one who's read it who thought... I have had a couple of say, people say to me in performing in the past, oh, I could never be that honest. And I know those people. And so I've said, I know that about you. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. But this is my story. So in my solo show, too, I was really, really honest about growing up with my mom, trying to grow up with her as an adult. That is, that is not easy. And I wanted to share the truth of it. Not only do you pen it, I mean, you're living it now. So I hear freedom in there. I hear a lot of freedom. Yes. And letting go. We carry this baggage sometimes. We don't even recognize it. 
you speak to your relationship with your mom, anyone that's a mother out there, the father-daughter, mother-daughter relationship, I don't care what anybody says, it is different. You know, my husband can do no wrong with the three girls, and that's just something I have to accept. And the whole mother-daughter thing is just a different thing for we women as, you know, we go through life. But I love that. And do you think that there are more people that are being open? Do you think the world has changed this way? For the most part, are we calling out? Are we truly finding our bravery? Uh, you know, I just saw something about the number of leaders in the world who are women now. And again, I love men, but I started crying. I was so touched by seeing the number of women there because I do think that women have a different capacity to be vulnerable even in positions of leadership, I find that extremely touching and extremely hopeful. So yes, in that regard, I do. I do think during this pandemic time, it has forced us in a good way to concentrate more on what's really important. And I don't really want to do any art that's not about things which are that I consider important, that I want to share with people. It's not a frivolous thing for me. It's a it's a deep desire to connect with people on a deep level and see if that can't help release that for other people. I'm not saying that it's me. I'm just saying I love to see people releasing themselves from the past. That is a deepening and intensity that, yes, I do think, I pray we're going in that direction. Yes. I love that. Spoken like a true artist. And I couldn't help but think as you were talking that, you know, women have had hundreds of years to sort of be back and be the nurturer and to have that sort of cheering sort of history that it is interesting. We're at a time now where we need to move to the forefront and speak up. So I like that. In writing the book, how long did it take for you to do this? Well, I really did start the day after the 2016 elections, and then it morphed into once I realized, oh, I'm writing a memoir. I took memoir in a year at Story Studio, which I recommend highly. Then I hired my instructor. So from that time until I pushed the send button, which was uh, exactly a year ago next week on sending the manuscript to She Writes Press, my publisher. And then after that, it was quite a bit of working with them on the proofreading and whatnot. And then the book was published on September 15th. So that is uh, about four years, which surprises me because it went by fast. So I love that you put a plug in there for She Writes Press. I've seen the books that they turn out. They're amazing. I also love the fact that you talk about, <laughs> it, the timing is interesting. Where were you in 2016? In Chicago. You were in Chicago. All right. Maybe this is a good jumping off point. Again, this is going to be hard. I'm going to have to hold back the whole interview, Margaret. I have a million questions. I know that our listeners aren't going to stick around for all of them. So I want to get into the heart of the book. Let's move into that. Tell me about what is the course that happens from the beginning of the book to the end of the book? What do you share? Well, the prologue starts to lay out the Davis Family Handbook because I really wanted to show, <clears throat> excuse me, that when we first moved, it was from, at that point, we were living in New York City and moved to Paris for Patrick's job. I wanted to show what I was packing, which was my turquoise journal. I always have a journal. I have since I'm a little girl. Uh, my well-worn U.S. passport, 
and too many guidebooks. I always had too many guidebooks. And I wanted to show that I was carrying a metaphorical handbook. So I was traveling with that. So once we moved to Paris, as I say, I really, as someone who had traveled quite a bit and had degrees in languages, I thought, oh, I've got this. I absolutely have this. I'm going to be, you know, I've, I've left my career behind, but I'm going to be the best, perfect expatriate. I did not have it. And so I took all of the rules, transferred those into roles, and I started to make myself into the perfect corporate spouse, the perfect hostess. And I mean, believe me, when you're living in a Four Seasons hotel in Paris, a lot of people want to come visit. And I loved every single one of them, but I did not ever give myself a break. I just was wanted to make everyone else's dreams come true of travel. I wanted to support my husband. I still feel that way. I wanted to be the perfect corporate spouse. I wanted to be the perfect expatriate. And so I threw all of my energies into that because I was so, really, I was really lost. I was really bewildered without a professional identity. And I did think, oh, finally, I will have time to write the book I've been wanting to write since I was a little girl. But I don't do that because I keep putting these other things first. And that continues. We moved to Cairo which is where Patrick is going to do what's called pre-opening in the hotel world. And we were there for about a year. That's when I really uh, come to grips with my drinking. And I really come to develop a different relationship with what I choose to call God, but the higher power of my understanding. Uh, That was obviously a big turning point in my life because for someone who is a perfectionist, who is a control freak, who is used to saying yes, who is a suit up and show up kind of person, to recognize, oh, I'm not in control of everything. That was a very big aha moment that I needed to have, and I'm grateful beyond words for that grace. So that allowed me to continue our travels with the realization, huh, I'm not in control of everything. We moved to Sharm el-Sheikh in the Sinai in Egypt, and that gets complicated for the narrator because I want to be part of a team. I've always been part of a team, and I wanted to be part of building this beautiful hotel, and in in many ways I was, and in many ways I wasn't. It intensified this feeling of who am I and allowed me to go deeper on my spiritual journey. By the time we moved to Thailand, I'm starting to get an inkling you know what, wait a minute, I really need to see what I want to be doing as opposed to just everyone else's life. I start to say no a little bit to people. And by the time I get to Bangkok, uh, we get to Bangkok, I start to say no more. I start to develop more of my own life. I start to realize I'm the only one who's been expecting me to be perfect. Patrick actually does not need me to fly back from Chicago taking care of my parents to be by his side at the anniversary of the hotel's opening. He actually never asked me to do it. I thought I needed to do it. So it becomes really clear to me by that point that this is my journey. It's not about Patrick telling me what to do. It's not about anyone telling me what to do. It's what I've been telling myself to do. So I start to grow in that. By the time we then move back to Chicago, it's a wonderful short stint. My parents are really getting older. It's a really precious time with them. 
I really reconnect with some international women there. That's something I say to everyone who travels, join the International Women's Club. And that's how we know each other is through International Women Associates. And then when we moved, by the time we moved to Singapore, that was a wonderful, wonderful expatriate assignment because by then I knew to do what I wanted to do. Taking care of Patrick, flying back and forth to Chicago, but also doing things which really, really mattered to me. I love to welcome newcomers. I love museums. I love the Friends of Museums. So you see the evolution of the narrator as she starts to say no to these expectations she's put on herself. I think that's a really important distinction. And I should mention, in case this is confusing for listeners, you know, you started working on the book in 2016, but your journey started in the year 2000. And so what comes over the course of this is this evolution of you finding your voice and two things jumping out. I can't help but think these are great stories. I mean, Henry James did the American woman going overseas, right? And finding herself. So There's something about the universality of your story. But secondly, I I really think, especially for the listeners here who are looking for advice, what was that moment where, you know, the switch went on and you started to say no, hey, hang on a second, if I'm ever going to find myself, you know, what the heck happened? Was there a moment? Was there, you know, lightning strike down from God and you went, yes, I have it. That's a great question. I would say, I, I wish, because uh, as an artist, that makes a much more dramatic uh, plot point, Rose. Thank you. I'm imagining a thunderbolt here. Uh, I would say it was a cumulative, quite honestly, but I did get to a tipping point where I really... I do remember a moment in Chiang Mai where I really got to a tipping point where I thought, no, that's enough. That's enough with saying yes to everyone else but myself. It still took me a long time after that to really come into my own voice, but that was a big tipping point to really risk what I I realized looking back, what I was fulfilling were all of these emotional payoffs. As long as I'm the perfect corporate spouse, I know what I'm doing and everyone applauds me. As long as I'm the perfect guide to every country, I know what I'm doing. Everyone loves me. It was my way of keeping myself safe. And that was the tipping point when I realized it's more important for me to have what I want to do next than to stay safe. So that was a really big moment and very, that was brave for me because I did know I was going to disappoint someone else at this particular juncture, not Patrick, but someone else. And it became worth it to me. I realized I'm at risk of losing my own soul, really, if I don't start to speak up for myself at that moment. I love that. I hear the words, you learning to love you and to accept that it's okay for you to want what you want, to speak your voice, to find your voice, and to be somewhat unabashed about it, and maybe the more with practice. I'm just going to jump to social media again. I know, or whatever it is we hear out in the world or expectations others have of us, it doesn't matter that much. If you don't love yourself, if you don't feel good that you're being true and honest, 
this is the part where I'm going to jump into your book here and, you know, and then we can, we can get into your storytelling because I love that you've done these live storytelling theater performance pieces, but this is at the very end. And as a reader, it takes me everything inside of me not to read the last page when I start. (laughs) I love the beginnings of book and I love the endings of books. And there's a passage here. I'm just going to read it for a second and maybe you can just comment on it. I know I'm throwing you out there a little bit, but I'm fighting this fight without the need for a suit of armor or a mask because I no longer feel like an imposter. I'm an artist struggling to fulfill a dream I've had my entire life. I'm determined to show up for myself as I try to show up for others, fully committed to their aspirations, believing in them 100% if they're willing to put in the work. I want that for myself. I give that to myself, but I'm honoring my own heroine's journey from unconsciously incompetent to consciously incompetent. And then it goes on a little bit further to say it's a never-ending odyssey. Just wondering what was going through your head as you wrapped up the book and you wrote this really beautiful, beautiful ending. It felt very Homer-ish to me. Wow, thank you for bringing me into the same category with Henry James and Homer. I'm feeling very humbled right now. And Rose, I'm really glad you read that passage because it was a particular satisfaction to get to that point, to really have been finding and finding and finding my voice and expressing myself more and more, and then really to getting to the critical point where I committed to writing this book as opposed to doing other things. Uh, And that was a big aha moment for me. And this is not original with me, but the conscious, unconsciously incompetent part, which is how I certainly start out as the narrator, becoming consciously incompetent, that realization, oh my gosh, this is what's been driving me. And the never-ending, you quoted the Odyssey, to, to try to become more consciously competent, which is a journey I think I'm def- I know I'm still on, and I think most people want to be on. That was a really particular realization for me that it was an an arc that we all start out at one point and just try to learn, try to get better, try to free ourselves. And that's what I hope for readers is it maybe inspires them to free themselves from whatever old, outdated stories they may be feeling are keeping them safe and which maybe by now are keeping them small. It's really so poignant. Again, I can't emphasize or underscore that enough if I had a big yellow highlighter. We're in a period of change right now where people are displaced from jobs and really struggling to put food on the table and take care of families. And the world is changing so rapidly given the situation that there's so much bravery that comes from just your journey and taking a step and understanding that we're always going to be fighting this battle but that you can come home. And so for you, this home is you. You know, perfectionism and imperfect at the same time. Hats off to you. I really, really love that ending. You know, there's a few more sentences and people are going to have to buy the book and read it. That's all. We're doing a, a promo there. This is one of those reads that's just so compelling because you talk about the travel 
and people get a little snippet of escaping <laughs> the lack of travel right now, but also it's so unaffordable for so many people to be able to go across. They'll never get across, you know, either way. So it's a beautiful way to take a journey through books, but also to do it holding your hand. So I am going to jump into a little bit about your experience on stage. Can you tell us about that? Yes, I would love to share that because I really was, as you say, a very obedient, uh, pretty complacent, super nerdy little teacher's pet kind of kid. So I had never been on stage. Uh, but when my mom was really at the end of her life, this is when we were living back in Chicago for that period, I really needed something that was not pre-grieving my mom. I loved my mom so much. She was really one of my best friends. So I realized oh, Second City is quite close to where we live, Second City, Chicago. And I, Patrick and I both took their year-long improv class. And that was just too fun. Their whole theory is yes, comma, and. And that's definitely unleashed my creative brain. I'm a very creative person and I love the yes and all day every day I could do improv and once I'd done all the improv that they offered um, I thought what well what am I going to do now so I tried their storytelling class and I, the first story I wrote is about uh, a tower in India filled with probably rabid monkeys and I told that story and my instructor said you do not look like the kind of person who would tell that story, but now I'm going to be thinking of you as Indiana Jones. And that thrilled me. So I really dove into storytelling. As I say, it really started off with the travel stories. Uh, I was lucky to start telling stories at a time when there was already a live lit scene in Chicago, but it was early enough that I could get up on stage anytime. And then I started to be brave enough to do the moth. That was brave for me, not because I have a fear of being on stage, because I don't, but because I was getting more vulnerable with my storytelling. As you know, the moth is a competition. So you're putting your art out for people to judge. Um, I played sports a lot as a kid, so I don't, I love competition, but it's a different art. And when I won the Moss story slam for the first time, I thought I would die of happiness because to get that reaction from the audience about something that had touched me. And so I tell stories wherever I can, when, where, wherever, whenever anyone asks me. And if there's one person in the audience, I'm thrilled. If there's a thousand, I'm thrilled. So that really lit a fire. And then I took solo show development at Chicago Dramatists to try something new creatively. And that became, again, the muse really spoke to me. I needed to tell the story of growing up with my mom and having misunderstood something my mom said to me when I was a little girl, which again, I carried around for my whole life and what I made it mean and letting go of that, how that changed my life. And I wanted to share that with people too. We can let go of things that we have carried around the baggage that sometimes we've misinterpreted. Uh, to find freedom, to use your word. What did your mom say? Can you share? Yeah, uh, I was making up a daytime television show as a little girl riding my bike on our little sidewalk. And I was playing all the roles because there were no other kids in my neighborhood. 
And I got quite dramatic by myself. And I was at a certain point, it was a fireman who was saving a lady from a burning house. So I'm the fireman. I'm also the lady in the burning house. And I started screaming, help, help, help. Now, again, I'm this quiet little kid. And all of a sudden, I see my mom at our front door. And she's like, you know, come over here. You cannot just yell like that. What I heard was, you cannot be loud. You should be quiet. Of course, my mom meant the best for me. You cannot yell help without people wanting to help you. But what I made that mean was to get quieter and to take all of my fierce sort of drama inside me. And I carried that until I showed my mom that monkey tower story. And I, it's not a quiet story. And my mom said, I'm just so proud of you for telling your stories. And in that one second, I realized she never meant to shut me down. I had it wrong for half a century. So that's what I wanted to share with people is, is if there's some freedom in letting go of things we may have misunderstood or misinterpreted and to, to try to let go, to f- try to forgive people for being human, forgive ourselves for being human. That's what I wanted to put on on stage. So I love that you clarified that. And the bravery comes from within and it's not about being perfect and ready and having... It's just about starting. And you do that for us in Bravish. So what's next? Ooh, what's next? Well, what I'd really love to do, because this book was a blast to write, but it was much harder than I thought. I really have been writing since I was a little girl. So I thought, oh, I will just dash off this book. Not so much. So what I'd like to write next is uh, a series of essays on, uh, I'm going to steal the title, The Book of Delights. For this conversation by Ross Gay, it's what he calls essayettes of things that delighted him. So yes, I will pick a different title. I won't actually rip off his title, but I'd like to write about things that fly by me, things that inspire me. I'm someone who does live in sort of a state of perpetual wonder, and I'd really like to share that. I, I mean, the tiniest thing can make me uh, gape in awe. And I would like to share that. I do think that right now, as you've referenced, Rose, we can all use a little bit of wonder in our lives and certainly wonder in the everyday, because that's what we're all living a la Groundhog's Day every day, the same things. But I do believe without being a Pollyanna around it, I do believe there's so much grace. There's so much wonder in the world. I'd like to write about things that delight me. And I also really, really right now do not want a book with this massive arc and two interwoven braided stories where I'm tearing my hair out. I want something a little and something different. I want a creative challenge. I like that, that ever sort of changing evolution. You are a delight. Speaking of delights and the gracefulness in the way that you tell your story and you share so openly, I'm going to encourage people to go to our Sipping on Stories website and to go ahead and we'll have links so that they can see you doing some of your performances and they can get in touch with you and reach out and also get the book and use that. But I think your insight in terms of, you know, the timeliness of finding wonder and that it's everywhere and it doesn't have to be a 
fancy big trip or uh, whatever, that it is everywhere. That message is really needed. And on behalf of everyone, I'm just saying thank you so much, Margaret, for, for sharing so openly and being so bravish for all of us and showing us the path. Thank you so much, Rose. I really appreciate the time to share it with you. Been a joy. Okay, well, take care. We didn't even talk about what we were sipping on today. I don't know if you had anything special. Oh, I certainly do. I've got my espresso. Oh, of course you do. What's in your cup? In my cup is just plain old Java. It's just really good Lavalanza beans, actually, Italian beans. That's my trip today. And my mug is Miami. I collect these these little mugs. That's a nice getaway right there. It is. So I I visit the world every day in my coffee mug. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again, Margaret. Look forward to talking and keeping in touch and the next series of art creations that you put out in the world. Thank you. Thanks, Rose. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Hopefully this positive story helps you to move a little closer to living your best life. We want you always to remember that you matter. You are loved, and we'll look forward to seeing you again next time as we sip on another great story. That's it for today, and that's a wrap.